This is Coda Facto, the podcast where we interview high performers in sport alongside clinical psychologist Dr. Kylie Henderson. We unpack the challenges that these sports people face and overcome to succeed in their particular fields and link that to the challenges of society. Brought to you by Interwork. Interwork Australia. As a leading provider of employment, skills and support initiatives, Interwork Australia's group of businesses are dedicated to supporting individuals and businesses achieve their goals. Welcome to this episode of Coda Factor. Welcome to this episode. I'm David Shillington. I'm joined by Dr. Carly Henderson. Welcome, Carly. Thank you. I'm so excited about this episode today. We've got one of the greatest ever all-time players for the AFL, Simon I'm Black. I'm super excited too. Oh, Simon Black. They don't come much bigger than that. He won three premierships with the Brisbane Lions in 01, 2 and 03. He won a Brownlow medal in 2002 and the Norm Smith medal in 2003. Wow, what a I career. I know. How did he do it? I'm just so interested to find out how he psychologically maintained his commitment over all of those years and, and was so successful. You're right. It's one thing to get that first premiership, but then to back it up year after year like that. Yeah. Beating my team. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Who's your team? <laughs> Essendon. Oh, Essendon. All right. Well, I think uh, some of the questions I'm keen to ask Simon today is, you know, how do they keep their feet on the ground, stay motivated and have those back-to-back premierships? When he had injuries or received criticism from the media or teammates, how did he handle that and take it in stride and, and keep going? Yeah, but still being so humble despite all those wins. Yeah, yeah. And I love picking the brains of these high performers and seeing you know, what are their routines, their habits, um, their strategies to, to achieve what they're achieving and, uh, and also handle those setbacks along the way. So. But before we do talk to him, who is your team? Because are we going to confess that you know we're not backing him? Lions at the moment, or what are, you, what are you going to say, Dave? No, as a Brisbane boy, uh, I will support the Lions. All right, uh, okay. As you know, Kylie, I've got a, a strong NRL background and pretty limited AFL knowledge, but um, I've done my homework today on Simon, and and I, I'm keen to find out a whole lot more about Simon Black, uh, the machine that he is. Yeah, absolutely. All right, exciting. Let's get into it. Welcome to our guest, Simon. Welcome. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, and Kylie, nice to be with you, guys. As uh, listeners might know, I have a strong uh, rugby league background, playing in the NRL for a long time, and my AFL knowledge uh, is a little bit limited. So I was asking you about your career, and you were just telling me off air, you're one of the greatest. Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) That's right, Dave. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I know you weren't saying that, uh, but uh, one of the things that always struck me about you, Simon, is um, how humble you are, how much humility you show. Uh, You genuinely were one of the uh, greatest AFL players uh, to have played the game, Uh, multiple premierships, captaining the Brisbane lines. How important is it for people to keep their ego in check in their pursuit of success and achievement? Um, yeah, the ego. I guess it's um, with a bit of success that you have, it's easy to sort of get a little bit ahead of yourself. And um, for me, I guess I came from a really fortunate family background. I had really wonderful parents that were very loving and caring and an older brother. Um, he's my only sibling. And, you know, I was incredibly fortunate, I guess, to to come from a pretty grounded family and um, learn how to, I guess, to, to work hard. And But my parents are very, I guess, humble people. Quick story on that, talking about my family background, but my, my second year in, in the AFL, started playing regular senior footy and I had my schoolmates come over from WA and uh, and we were going for dinner one night in the car. Mum was in the car as well and I, I must have been carrying on a little bit. I'm not sure exactly what I was, what I was doing, but I must have got a little bit ahead of myself <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and been a bit disrespectful. And mum, as I said, was always very... A very um, down to earth lady, and 
Um, anyway, I got out of the car and we were walking toward the, towards the restaurant and I, and I turned behind and mum was sort of still back at the car and, and she, um, she, she was in tears. And I remember just thinking, oh, God, what's happened, what, what's happened to mum? And so I went over to her and I said, mum, what's wrong? And she she's looked up at me and she goes, Simon, you, you've changed. She goes, you've become a little, you've become arrogant and pretty much, pretty much saying to me, like, you, you're not the son that I raised. And for me, that was the greatest lesson I just about got, I think, in my life. Right there and then, it just smacked between the eyes, and I thought, "Wow!" And it was the greatest moment I guess I've ever reflected. This is, you know, coming from my mum, who I couldn't have asked for a better mother. She was so incredibly supportive the whole way through, and she still is to this day. And I'd obviously, you know, broken a heart, but with my behaviour. And so for that, that was, like I said, that was a real moment in time where I just, I guess, it just put my feet back on the ground, and and I've always remembered that little, you know, episode in my life, and um, and often bring it up with my mum and. Um, but it was a real watershed moment for me, just to sort of, hey, mate, like, you're not that good. Yeah. Um, How old were you? Were you high school? 19. 19. Yeah. So second year at the Brisbane Lions. And as I said, I'd started playing a bit of regular senior footy and I had a bit of swagger about myself. <laughs> 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 and mum, um, well, she didn't give me a clip for it. It was, it was probably more what she didn't say. That, yeah, um, that disappointment. Yeah, it really impacted me at that time. So, um, Did she remember it as... as you know, I guess as clearly as you did. Yeah, she does. Yeah, yeah she does. So we often talk about it because, yeah, it was a moment that was, she was really emotional and it really yeah. hit home to me coming from a mum who I, you know, really respect. Yeah. And, and pretty brave, a mum taking out all these 19-year-old boys to dinner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did that kind of quieten the night or? Yeah, I think it did. I think we, um, I think I had to pay for dinner. Um, yeah, it was sure your shout that. after yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, it was a really nice moment, I guess, looking back, but it was pretty harsh at the same time. It was a good reality check and, and I was guilty. I remember having that bit of attitude at the time and mum just reminded me of it. I think it's some of those skills, isn't it, Dave, you know, being hearing that and not, I guess, allowing that to impact you and then reflecting on it. Some people wouldn't do that, though. So is it being coachable or is that a skill to be able to receive that feedback and, and then change so, so dramatically? Well, I'm not sure where it comes from. I think it's just that when I look back, like my mum, like mum and dad moved from Perth to come to Brisbane and they were lucky to do that work-wise at the time, about 12 months after I arrived and... As I said, we're always a close family and like to think we had, you know, pretty good values that for me it was just around, I've hurt mum, I love mum so much, care for her so much that, you know, I've obviously been a bit of a twit here, I need to pull my head in. It was just a real, like I said, a whack between the eyes of, um, so I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure where it, where it came from. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Well, that story tells us a lot about uh, how you have become so humble, so very, mm. very insightful. For the rest of your team, but you guys achieved so much success during your career, winning premierships in 2001, 02, 03. You managed to keep your feet on the ground. What sort of things did you guys do as a team to make sure everybody else kept their feet on the ground as well? Yeah, look, it's, it's an interesting one. I guess that bit of sustained success for a few years. Uh, we had a great coach. Lee Matthews was really good at, um, I guess, driving areas to focus on, specific areas in your game individually to focus on from one year to the next to get better at. And we were never a, a, the minor premiers at the end of the home and away season, which means we never finished on top before the final start. And so that was a bit of a motivating factor as well. So yeah, there was the individual focus, but then there was the collective team focus that we had real, I guess, things we wanted to work on. And, you know, that that was really big. We were pretty hard. I, I, I look back, I reflect back on us as, as a playing group on each other and I was a young guy in that era, Jonathan Brown and Luke Power and myself and one or two others, we were sort of the younger guys of the group. We had a really good leadership group above us, a good core group and and I remember from 
the couple of years leading up to our premiership era, there was a real shift in the ownership from, I guess, the coach coaching group down to, you know, a player-led culture or environment, if you like, and that was a real pivotal change in the playing group for us and that's the reason I think the, the success followed. But, yeah, to be able to win it one year is great, but to, to get there four years in a row, um, didn't win the fourth one, unfortunately, but, you know, you, you've got to have, a, I guess, that you know, desire to continual improvement mindset and attitude and be really specific around that, and that was a real big part, I think, Sheila, of that playing group at the time. Really competitive bunch of guys, you know, mm-hmm. like Lee Matthews used to talk about success or premierships like junk food like it's, it's it tastes great feels great but it's not nourishing yep. <laughs> like you want more and more of it yep. yeah and and that was him and he drove that and drove a great environment and the players jumped on board were any of those victories more sweeter than the other um yeah they're all different little way the first one was you know the first one being your total euphoria and we, we beat Essendon who were a really dominant team the year before you know they were amazing side so the first one's incredible, it's just total disbelief a little bit, I think. Um, and the second one were the red-hot favourites going into the game and we only just won against Collingwood that year in 2002 and so that was probably more relief. And then 2003 we played Collingwood again and they were the, the favourites going in and they didn't have a great game and we managed to, to win by a pretty good margin. So that was just, again, jubilation again. So, yeah, they're all a little bit different but they're probably equally as special. Were there times along those seasons where you had a lot of you know, positive energy, a lot of confidence, and other times we probably had a bit of self-doubt and thought, you know, am I capable to win this premiership? Can we win this premiership this year? Yeah, no, no doubt, actually. I guess for me, as a, a kid growing up, my personality, I, I was always a bit of self-doubter, but always had a degree of sort, of sort of self-doubt. And, you know, even after 15 years in the AFL, I always, not before a game, was very nervous and feel sick in the stomach before a game and you know actually speak of your code one of your great players I remember when Darren Lockyer retired he I heard him on the you know on a retirement speech that he spoke about the fear of failure and how you know that really drove him and and things and I guess a lot of athletes have that can have that that mindset or that makeup and that was certainly me as well and when you have that mindset that mentality I guess you, you don't really enjoy the lead up to the game because you're sick in the guts <laughs> and you just feel mm-hmm. like just that nerve just eat you up but it's a great way, I guess, to go into battle because you're on the edge. But, you know, you, you, yeah, you don't enjoy the lead-up. Not before the game, for instance, you know, like I didn't sleep particularly well and struggled to eat much before the game and played a lot of 17 of our 22 games or night games, a lot of waiting around. And so I was definitely one of that, even after a lot of, you know, experience is a beautiful thing, as they say. And after half a dozen years in the, in the system, you, you have that belief and whatever. But I, I was always... <laughs> I was always a bit of a self-doubter. Yeah. yeah. What, what what was going through your mind? What were the kind of thoughts that you heard? Well, I, I just I just nerves has always been whether it was you know doing little athletics as a kid and you got to run a cross country or fifteen hundred yeah. meters or whatever. I used to get really nervous competing. Yeah, I don't know why that was just just my makeup. Yeah. Was it things like will I win today or will I be good enough? Are they? I mean, when we talk about self-doubt, we talk about the thoughts that kind of drive that nervous feeling in your stomach. Did did you have any of those thoughts or did you recognise any? Yeah, I think it was around just failing, you know, the fear of failure and not being good enough and yeah. I guess making a bit of a fool yourself. And, and, you know, no one has more higher expectations than yourself, do they, I guess, normally. So, you know, you want to perform at your best every week and, and you get really dirty on yourself if you don't, I guess, and that, that was what really... It comes a lot of frustration, and you know we all, I'm sure Sheila's the same. You play with players, a lot of players like that, 
and some really good players that play well most weeks, but they, they come off the ground and they're one or two mistakes and that sort of eats them up. Yeah. Um, and, and that Somehow you got over those though, didn't you? Because sometimes when those thoughts get get in the forefront of your mind and your stomach's churning, you, you can't play as well as you did. So was there anything that you recognised that you did? Yeah, there was. For me, it was learning, I guess, what, what are the the specific two or three things, what do I do well when I play well? And really focusing on, on the critical few um, or critical couple, I guess. And there's a lot, I guess, in any sport, a lot of things that you can go through your mind, particularly at a professional level where you've got game plans and strategies and things and um, it's high pressure, there's big atmosphere with a crowd or whatever and you might not start the well, the game well. And But whether I was playing well or whether I wasn't, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd come in at half time and I'd always sort of recheck with my two or three things that, mm. you know, that they were my, I guess, go-to. And it was simple. It was basic little things. They weren't overly complicated, but they were little things about movement, you know, around a stoppage for me as being a midfielder and mm-hmm. being really aggressive with opponent. And, you know, there were just a couple of things that – and if you do the – you know, you hear that a lot as well, but if you do the training preparation throughout the week, you, it wasn't a skill thing for me. It was more – my couple of things were, were about movement and they were about being aggressive with an opponent and, you know, you have confidence in being able to kick the ball well or picking up cleanly off the ground. It was other things. So – I think if you tune your mind into just you know the the most important couple of things, that just takes away a lot of the a lot of the noise in your mind, and mm. um, it really helps you focus on the the here and now and what and what is the most important things for me to perform well for the team and you know for myself. Mm. That, that's a really great strategy, isn't mm. it? And so some of our listeners who would also experience self doubt in their lives, whether it's a, a task at work, in their relationships, financial goals they might have struck for themselves. What are some things uh, our listeners can do to manage that self-doubt? Well, well, I think, Simon, you've just given us a really good strategy there that we'd say, you know, it's tuning into what you're actually saying to yourself, but also having a bit of a balanced perspective on that because we we all do things that are good and and things that we'd like to improve on. And it sounds like that's what you did at halftime. You came in and checked back on your scorecard really to say, I know I do these three things well, so how am I actually tracking rather than just honing in on all of the negatives that aren't going right? And I think that's a real skill that we can all learn from. Yeah, I think as well, like the night before a game with, with a nerves element, I, particularly as a younger, 19, late teen years and early 20s, the sleeping part, I'd visualise myself doing those couple of things really well mm. and that just helped me, I guess, see it and then park it and get a good night's sleep. That was really important for me, the visualisation aspect. And and I remember we, we had a sports psychologist at the club, Phil Jauncey, mm. and he was fantastic. He, he's, he's got his own, I guess there's a lot of those personality profile and ones out there and he had his own which was which was great but he used to say to us but what's the worst thing that could happen picture the worst thing that can happen and he said is it really that bad (laughs) and and a lot of the time on the footy field you think yeah you know what (laughs) it's only a game of footy that's right it's hard to remember the time but isn't it (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah But I think you're right. I think the skill of being able to balance out your thinking but also being able to visualise the best thing happening and then the absolute worst thing. And if that's not going to happen at the time, it's a much more balanced perspective when you walk into any problem. Yeah. So you had a lot of success there in 01, 02, 03, but then the back end of 2004 and into 05, a few injuries crept up on you. Talk us through those injuries and, and how they impacted you, uh, you know, from a mental health point of view with the uncertainty of your future. Yeah, I guess in the end of 04, as a club, we, we really sort of went downhill after Shiloh, unfortunately. We, we had a great four-year period, but a few of our guys started to retire and, you know, a few of the guys were, were sort of bodies were a bit beaten up and, and even just the 
you know, the lack of continuity with pre-season training from our guys. So anyway, but long and the short of it, we, we dropped away at that period. But what I did like was that, that I mentioned to you earlier is that in, in sort of the mid-20s, I had a bit more ownership in the footy club because you feel like a lot of the older guys have gone. So you have that ownership and you feel like you start to mentor some of the younger, younger players coming through. But yeah, on your point, yeah, I remember at the end of 04 having shoulder rico and groin surgery and maybe an ankle surgery as well. And it is a challenging time coming back from those operations and, and wondering whether you can get back to the athlete that you were. And, you know, I guess when you look back, you think, oh, of course, you, you can. I'm in my mid-20s, you know, I'm <laughs> spring chicken. But, yeah, at the time, it can really eat you up. And it, it took me a fair bit of time that particular year to get healthy again and get back playing at a level I was comfortable with. Probably my most challenging period from a footy AFL playing time was my second year at the Lions when I, was, I wanted to try to become a regular senior player in the team. And that phase where you, my first year you get a taste of it and going to become a regular senior player, I really struggled with that in my second year because I put a lot of expectation on myself to become that regular senior player. And I was doing university studies here in Brisbane and I just felt like I had a lot on the pl- on my plate and I was trying to do extra training and extra this and that. And I just remember having a, a breakdown, like a bit of a sort of mental meltdown a little bit with our club doctor and, and he was fantastic just to help get me through that period but you know just the pressure you put on yourself to want to be you know I want to be like Michael Voss our captain and I'm never going to be Vossy but you know he, he was the guy I would sort of follow around and he was mentoring me and you know I wanted to be him I expected to be him but you know he's up there and I'm you know down here but you put that pressure on yourself and it really wore me down and it was a period where you know, I was I mean remember he put me on some antidepressants for a little while and it was a period I really struggled. I had to, had to work through mentally a lot and, and I learned a lot about, about myself and I guess a little bit about just uh, trying to take a bit of a chill pill and <laughs> just sort of, it's not the end of the world, mate, just sort of, um, you know, enjoy it and just little things. Like I grew up loving my surfing and just going down the coast a bit more in, in that time and getting the water and those sort of things away from the footy club because, you know, it's such a privilege, as you know, to play professional sport and it can really consume your life that... You don't, I guess, have enough outside perspective. Yeah, mm. that's the term. Mm. Sounds like, too, you, you obviously are so competitive that you want to get there. Like when you talk about being Michael Voss and getting to the top, is that is that, that you just want to get there because you're so competitive and you forget the journey that you have to take there? Or I think that's a really good point, Kylie. Yeah, I think like an example of that, I was, I've always been a really skinny kid and putting on muscle mass was always a big issue and my first few years at the Lions, like I was improving, I was putting on a bit of size and getting stronger and, but I wasn't really acknowledging the improvement that I was seeing mm-hmm. in, in myself because I wasn't, you know, like Ossie or whoever it was, Nigel Laffin. So you, you're always wanting more. So you never, you're improving, but you don't guess, you need to take take a moment to stop and actually give yourself a little pat on the back because you, you know, you're working hard and you're trying mm-hmm. and you're committing and you're really diligent about what you, what is you, you're doing. But you want more all the time and that's yeah. um, it's probably a good lesson for all of us, isn't it, just to sort of stop and reflect a little bit on yeah. where you're at in, in your journey. Self-care is such an important part of uh, anyone's career, especially as the intensity rises and uh, you become a leader within teams. You became a leader in 2007 with the Brisbane Lions and captained them for a couple of years. Obviously, it would have been a great honour for you, but was it tough managing all those personalities as well and people with those egos we mentioned earlier? Oh, look, it was – I really enjoyed working with the younger guys. Chilo was um, – look, it was a challenge in, in the sense that we'd we been a really strong club and, you know, for that that era we weren't anymore and you'd known what playing the grand final was like. So you thought you could get back there tomorrow sort of thing, but, yeah, we weren't. And 
so 05 was our first real drop and then 06 and then 07 as you mentioned that so we're sort of two three years in then of a struggling club if you like but your mind shift chains around you know like our capacity or capability as a group might be finishing eighth because we're really young and you, you sort of had to sort of I guess judge your our results around that rather than playing in the grand final because we're not mm. the team we were sort of thing. so yeah look I guess for me it was around just trying to help develop our younger guys in our team and and make them feel like they could contribute and play AFL football and that was a real privilege to be able to, to do that as you know when you're lucky to play for long enough to work with younger guys is it's it's fun it's, and you can see an improvement you get a real buzz and a real kick out of that and so yeah we didn't quite get back there but again but I, I enjoyed working with the younger guys in the second half of my career. And did you have to change your style of communication with each of the guys or how did you manage all the different personalities? Yeah, I guess like an AFL list is about 40 to 45 players and, wow. you know, there's a, lot of, yeah, there's a lot of guys on there and I think playing in Brisbane, the Lions, a lot of the, the, the players are from interstate so we, we do spend a lot of time together away from the club as well which you know, helps form relationships and so that helps. You know, I remember hearing someone once say, say to me that people don't care what you know until they know that you care when you think about what that means it's a really important and it's true look it's really true yeah, yeah. particularly young people these days yeah they don't care what you've done background wise but until they know that you care got some degree of care they you know it's you're not going to build that relationship so for me yeah I, I was around just trying to build those mm. relationships the younger guys and and build them up and and have small wins along the way and acknowledge those small wins you know like we weren't winning um, we're losing more than we're winning, but yeah, you know, having those little small wins where you can give yourself nourishment mentally and as a group and individually along the way and enjoy the journey because, you know, it can be a grind. It's a real privilege to play professional footy. There's no doubt about that, but it still can be a mental grind as well. So you've got to see the positives and the little wins when you're not winning on the weekend as much. Mm. So it sounds like being authentic is another characteristic that you have. And, I mean, that's how you genuinely show someone that you care is just being really true to who you are. Would you say that's part of your personality? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'd like to think so anyway, yeah. You know, you, what you see is what you get pretty much with me. And, um, you know, I think if you're not genuine, then, you, you, you know, it's, it's going to be evident at some point anyway. So, um, yeah, you've got to be authentic. Mm. Uh, those tough years for you uh, when the Lions weren't doing so well after having a good period, that really resonated with me. I know uh, when I played at the Roosters, you know, they had a great period where they won in 02 and made grand finals in the next two years. And then I actually debuted after that. At the same time, all the performances really dropped off. And I'm not saying it's because of me, of course, <laughs> but uh, uh, it was a really tough period for the Roosters. They, they demand success. They're a very successful club even today. So, you know, those couple of years where we didn't make the finals, that was a shock to them. And uh, the whip got uh, cracked many, many times. There were very tough conversations. We got um, blasted by the media. When you guys were going through that, how hard was it to shut out the outside world? And obviously you want to acknowledge it and, and be respectful of fans and media and how upset they are, but how important was it to shut that out and focus on the job that you're doing? Yeah, look, I guess the media-wise, yeah, they, they can jump on you pretty quick. When you've been a strong team, a strong player individually, whatever, and you're not performing quite as well anymore that that's yeah that's a bit of a dent to the ego isn't it mm, yeah <laughs> so yeah I guess it um you, your mindset you, you has to change a little bit but I mean for me it was just all around just committing to the the training and, and the work and what's what's important you know it's um I can't you know the old son I can't control what others are going to say or think but as long as I work hard and I commit to 
to helping the younger guys or, you know, obviously my own training, continual improvement, being a real focus, then, you know, the rest takes care of itself. And again, you might disappoint some because you don't perform like you'd like to, but I'm tipping you'll never disappoint them as much as disappoint yourself if you don't. Um, Mm. So, yeah, it was more around, I guess, just trying to, like I said earlier, focusing on the on the, the critical two or three things as a as an individual and as a team around what what do we need to commit to to get ourselves out of this situation or to have those small wins. Mm. And you hear that with I guess a lot of the, the lower ranked clubs these days around. Yeah, we didn't win the game, but we've gone from being non competitive to competitive, and that's a you know that's a win. You know, that's a win in itself. So. Yeah, you've got to have small wins along the way, whether it's in a footy team or in, in life in general. So, Simon, you retired in 2013. 2015, you started the Simon Black Academy. Tell us a bit about that academy. Yeah, it's an education and football program for Year 13 students, basically, a school lever age bracket, and we partner with Torrens University and the students completed a Bachelor of Business um, or a Diploma of Sports Development, and we tie a, a football and athletic program around that. So, yeah, it's a little bit, little bit different, but I've really enjoyed it. We do... A, bunch of workshops whether it's things around nutrition or leadership or a bit of mental health workshops as well Kylie and mm. yeah it's not so much you know there, there is some talented elite kids but it's more community level footballers that want to better their football and get an academic qualification along the way so it's um it's been it's been good chill I've enjoyed it I, I coached at the Lions for three years when I retired and got asked to get involved with the, the program the academy and I obviously have and it's it's been a good journey this this far. Yes, sounds like you've made a real difference for a number of people. I mean, how many people have been through the academy now? Oh, over the five years, um, it's a good question, Collie. Must, must be a lot. Um, yeah, the, yeah, there's a few. We've got um, one in Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne and Brisbane. So wow, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a few few that have gone through. And, yeah, look, I do. I really enjoy it. And, and I, yeah. the thing I do enjoy the most is just working with the young males and females coming out of school. You know, you're pretty green. You're... You're pretty raw, and um, so I remember it doesn't feel that long ago I was the same. And yeah. so helping, you know, give them all a little bit of advice along the way is, is always a bit of fun. And um, and they change a lot, you know, from 17 and a half or 18 to the year or three they have with us. It's, God, it's incredible how much they change and develop in that time too. Can you think of a success story that you could tell us about through? Um, I think probably the the ones that you know we we get all sorts, and the ones that I guess come in that really haven't had much direction they've come from a, a tougher upbringing than than some of us fortunate others and just getting them direction with their academic studies committing to that helping them physically making them fitter or stronger because they want to become better athletes or footballers mm-hmm. train four mornings a week so they get a chance to really work on their athletic and football skills but more so the ones that can go through and and they might not have been the best students at school but they can commit themselves enough and find a way to get through their diploma or, or even their bachelor degree. It's been amazing the amount of students we've had that have completed a bachelor of business that when they walk in the door at the start, you think they're going, going to struggle tough. to last a yeah. year, let alone three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then go on and, and enjoy the, and um, get a job and be a part of the workforce um, yeah. is great. And that's where, that's really what I've enjoyed. And we've tried to form some partnerships so that they can have a, a job on the, as an outcome on the back of the program as well. So, yeah, probably just more the ones that, not, not the scallywags, but ones that just sort of <laughs> haven't had uh, as much direction and guidance you can see as, uh, you know, from their, their family background. Yeah, it's a super cool story. I mean, the, the power of even just the four mornings a week of getting up and exercising and being committed to something and, you know, as you say, they've come from maybe not enjoying school so much to then getting a degree from doing that routine and getting fit and 
doing that as part of a group. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, like all of us, it's easy to do something if you enjoy it. And mm. I think our students really enjoy the, the football and athletic side and that helps get them into the classroom and commit to their studies as well. Mm. Um, so the parents like it because of the, the academic component and the, the students, I guess, like it uh, from the, the footy and athletic side. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a good little mix, I, I feel, anyway. Absolutely. Sounds like the wellbeing code. It does, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how was that transition out of sport and into the real world, so to speak? I know I had my challenges too when I retired in 2017. You've obviously found something that's uh, really worthwhile and meaningful in the Simon Black Academy, so I'm sure that helped a lot. What were some of the good stories of retiring and some of the toughest stories? stories too. Yeah, I was lucky. I had a bit of a soft exit from the game in that I coached at the club for three years and retired. So I was very fortunate in that, I guess, in that regard to be involved with, with football still and, and the Brisbane Lions. I feel lucky. Like, yeah, a lot of players get, a, you know, they get cut or they leave. You know, there's a clear cut away from the from the football industry and it's hard to find your feet. And so, as I mean, I keep saying, as you know, but it's true, you know, the, the amount of players, I think that when they are playing, that you know, are doing work experience or they're studying or they're doing some activity whilst they're playing, that, that, that A, their footy is better, <laughs> it seems to correlate to playing better footy anyway, and two, they're so better placed, so much better placed post their, you know, their, their playing days because it gives them direction and they can go into something. Even if they haven't, you know, got a, a degree or they, they haven't got a job locked away, I think the fact that they've learned something in their minds, they're learning all the time and they're, they're growing, it's not as overwhelming. Yeah, they're definitely the ones I think that transition far better than the ones, you know, that um, – because you do, you, know, you can go some players sit around and they're on the Xboxes and they they play a lot of golf and it's all great because they're getting paid well at the time. But that's um, – like the AFL average is four years mm. in the system and the NRL is probably pretty similar. Yep. So it, it dries up uh, pretty quickly. So, yeah, that, that the f- if you can do something whilst you're playing – Holds you in far better stead, doesn't it? Yeah. Four years on average, you guys must be dinosaurs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> How yeah. many years for you? Twelve years <laughs> for me. Twelve yeah. years and how many yeah. years in total? Uh, Sixteen. Sixteen. Wow, yeah. you definitely beat the average. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know uh, when I started out as an 18-year-old in the system, everyone was retiring about 28, 30, but then all of a sudden Darren Lockyer and Petro Sivanesiva and Steve Price all pushed through at about 36, 37 and paved the way for the rest of us. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I was about 33, 34 roughly when I retired. How old were you? Yeah, 34. Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, and 34 as an athlete, I think it's comparative to about 60 years old in real life, doesn't it? The way you feel, you're limping around. Your body, oh, yeah. your injuries. Six to in 85 at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. Back. Yeah. <laughs> so you're obviously not training full-time anymore as an athlete. You obviously value your physical fitness still. Uh, what sort of things do you do to maintain your fitness? Yeah, I, I do just a bit of um, gym membership. Um, I go to the gym a little bit. I do a class, which is bit of treadmill, water rower and floor weights and do that as well. So I just, just like moving, Shiloh, whether it's, yeah, on a, jump on a bike or being active, you know, find if my body's moving, then I just feel so much better mentally and, and obviously physically. <laughs> and I'm 42 now, so my back feels like it's shrinking, it's yeah. seizing up if I don't move and, and stretch. So it's, uh, it's amazing, isn't it, yeah. mate, if you don't move, you know about it in a couple of days. So, But it is, it's more mental than physical, I feel. You know, having, you know, been so active for so long, if I don't have a sweat or get moving, it's amazing how um, I feel sluggish mentally. Yeah. Absolutely. I know... Uh, couple of weeks back, um, had a few big days at work, you know, working long days and a bit of stress. And um, my wife said to me, I can tell you're a bit on edge when you get up in the morning and once you go to the gym. 
And I was like, don't tell me what to do. And, <laughs> and I went to bed. And, but I listened to her. I got up and went to the gym and, and I did a big workout and I came home and she said, um, how do you feel? And I went, well, actually pretty good. So <laughs> I think um, that physical outlet like that is so good for your mental health. Isn't it? Yeah. Mm. You just got to get the endorphins going, don't you? Yep. Yeah. Dr. Kylie's looking for another member for a basketball team. Actually, how do you yeah. go basketball? Yeah, yeah. I'm always looking for new membership for my basketball team. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm actually, actually the former teammate, Jace Nakamanis, has come back to Brisbane and he loves his basketball and he's on, on to me at the moment to join his team. Oh, but, he, um, he'd be fun to play with, I could tell. Oh, yeah, I don't know, Kyle. I don't know. <laughs> as long as you're on his team, I think. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you talked earlier about mental health and you raised it again then as, as a key part of keeping active and keeping your mind active. But um, was there any stigma in around mental health in, in football? Yeah, I think I probably played an interesting era where it was, you know, the late 90s through to, I guess, well, it was 2013, but there was a real shift. Um, there was a, probably a real shift in the professionalism of the sport and just the acceptance of mental health or not great mental health over that 16-year period. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a real shift, yeah, it's from, I guess, you know, the old stigma around being soft, particularly as a male okay, in, a, yep. in a football environment early days just get on with it you know all that that whole I guess attitude towards someone struggling mentally to um, to real shift in real care I think the AFL Players Association has had a has driven that really well in the in the professional ranks and it's spread throughout the community I think so much more these days in a, in a general issue hasn't it it's mm. so much better and some so much more accepting of that but yeah I've definitely saw a shift in that Kylie throughout my playing days and and I think males asking about each other how they are going is far, far superior than than it used to be yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah, I think we are, I guess we are a bit more of a, a softer um, race these days of males and I think it's for the better, you know, in, in, in a lot of respects. Maybe not in every respect, Shiloh, but in a lot of respect in the, in the mental care for each other, we're far better in that, in that regard. Would you have any advice to anybody who might be listening who's really struggling to put their hand up and say, you know, I'm struggling? Would you have any advice, given what you've been through? You've kind of been through this era where you you wouldn't talk about it and then you could, and now it sounds like you're a real advocate. So what advice would you give someone? Yeah, I think, Kylie, I'd just say that it's okay, it's fine, it's great to, you know, acknowledge that you're not going great mentally and and don't be afraid because so many... I think there's a real shift in acceptance of, of that these days. You know, it's, it's, it's fine to be that way. It's okay. And don't feel like you are weak or don't feel like, you know, that you're, you're going to be frowned upon. But, you know, like you, you've got to work through You've got a problem. You've got to find a way to – and there's people out there that are going to help you and want to help you with that issue, uh, whatever the issue might be. So I think it's just coming forward and just acknowledging it um, and not hiding it because I think, you know, as, as particularly as males, we, we still do carry that a lot and weigh, carry a lot around mentally and we've got far better but we're still not to the point where probably we need to be with um, except that I'm really struggling. Mm. It's, I guess just talking about it and acknowledging it and, you know, I've had friends in the AFL industry that have really struggled mentally and, you know, they all to a man say, you know, when I talk about it, I, I always, every time, feel much better on the yeah. back of it. So being able to verbalise it and talk through my issues and just get it off my chest, that old saying, a problem shared is a problem halved. And I guess that really rings true. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Mm. I found that if I've got things going on, I can turn it over my head for, for weeks and months without any solution. But then as soon as I talk about it, all the words fall into place and I sort of solve my own problems at the same time. 
Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, just like a weight lifted off you. Yep. So, Simon, we'll just switch up gears a little bit here and uh, a few rapid-fire questions for our <laughs> AFL fanatic okay. fans out there. A bit of insight into your teammates. Who was the funniest teammate you had? Uh, Mel Michael, our full-back, he um, was a an absolute clown and one of those guys that you'd be talking to him and he'd be pulling the mickey out of you but you wouldn't know it and yep. um it was a lot of people wouldn't know much about mel but yeah he was a he was a, a very funny man uh, nice <laughs> uh who was your toughest teammate the one you knew that could take any knock and come back um probably michael voss and jonathan brown yeah jonathan brown always struck me as a very tough player yeah he probably he probably could have played your game pretty well i reckon Sheila. he was a he was a very tough man yeah Brownie. yep uh, and what about opposite the opposition? Who was the toughest person you ever played against? Um, I played on Cameron Ling for about ten years, and he was a like a bit of a run with sort of tag, and he was he was about twelve or fifteen kilos heavier than I was. He was he would play you from behind. He was like a big bear on your back. So um, he was he was probably the toughest, but a ripper bloke, a lovely bloke. At, um, but I hated him for ten years. Yep. <laughs> and was he one you sort of relished that opportunity to play against, or were there others you wanted to come up against and test yourself on or prove yourself against? Yeah, I did. He, he was he would really challenge me and test me because he basically tried to stop me from getting the football, and he was I guess that type of like they call him a tagger in the AFL, and so yeah, he was he was probably my toughest, and and then. The ones that you the general, I guess, ball, ball players, a bit of a shootout really, but like a Chris Jard or a Daniel Kerr for West Coast or a um, Gary Ablett Jr. I, I used to love, I guess, playing against those guys too because, you know, he could have more of an impact on the game. Was was good rather than someone just trying to backpack you around all day. Yep, yep. <laughs> and the modern game, who's some of the players you admire at the moment in the modern game? Yeah, um, uh, Marcus Bontempelli from the Western Bulldogs is he's a he's, he's Great to watch him. Um, Toby Green from the Giants. I love watching Toves play. Paddy Cripps from Carlton as well. And Lockie Neal for the Lions. There's a few, there's a few for you. A few midfielders. Yeah. <laughs> and this year's premiership. Still a little way out, oh, so you've got some yeah. games to play. The Lions have uh, sort of dropped away the last couple of weeks, haven't they? But their best, I think, is is right up there. And with the COVID situation, who knows? We might need another grand final here. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I'll, I'll stick thick with my lines. I'm going to say Brisbane. Nice. Oh, it's wonderful um, um, being a bit selfish, uh, having all these games from the NRL and the AFL yeah. up in Brisbane or southeast Queensland at the moment. And I, I know I'll certainly be getting down to watch a few of them across both codes. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, we've uh, spoiled at the moment. Uh, well, thank you so much, Simon, for being our guest today. It's been a wonderful insight into your career and um, you know, what's been your motivation and what uh, you've used to manage that performance anxiety and that uncertainty in your career. Uh, you talked a lot about preparation for games, identifying your strengths, really, and your direction of how you wanted to play and train, having good mentors, coaches. And I know you played that role yourself when you became a senior player, really optimising your physical health as, as a good way to take care of your mental health. And lastly, how we started the conversation, really keeping your feet on the ground, thanks to your mum's uh, great parenting. <laughs> yeah, give me a good clip when I needed it. So. <laughs> Did we miss any of your mum's advice? Oh, um, oh I'm sure she's got Mums always have sayings, don't they? Yeah. Um, it's nice to be important and it's more important to be nice. Oh, that's a good one. That's um, a good one. It's been a little while since she's given me some advice. <laughs> but she, she used to know, she... she um, She's very much, yeah, around, around just being – like she hates arrogance. It's her number one pet hate. And so um, anyone that was arrogant, she really struggled with. So, um, yeah, she wasn't going to have any other boys that were that way. But, yeah. yeah. I think it's always funny as a parent then 
saying those sayings that your parents said to you. Yeah. So I'm sure they'll come out and you haven't even realised. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably be saying them to my kids in the next few years, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the last thing we finished each show with uh, is just hearing from, I guess, um, three of their strategies or tools for being proactive with their mental health well-being. What does Simon Black do? Yeah, sure. I think for definitely for me, it's moving. Get out, getting outside and moving my body. Um, I definitely feel my best when I'm, I'm active and I'm, I'm moving. Whatever form of activity it is, just get out inside and move. So that's definitely one. And secondly, is just the amount monitor the amount of screen time I'm having. You know, I find that my head, and I find it with my my boys at the moment. They're nine and seven, and where they've had a screen for half an hour and you, you try and pull it off them, you know, it's like they just freak out <laughs> in their minds adjusting to the, the real world. And, and I find that a little bit myself, I guess, not as quite as dramatic, but, you know, if you're on the screen for time, so not, you know, so limiting how much screen time and then, and then reading a book, you know, I find if I'm, you know, learning something each day and reading and if it's just a few pages of a, of a book of some sort, then that definitely just, I just feel like I've, I've done something throughout the day where I've bettered myself. So definitely, yeah, reading, reading as well. And I'm not, I'm not a great reader, but I, it's one of the things I force myself to, to do. Oh, I think they're three great pieces of advice. Uh, I, I'm a bit of a reader myself. Uh, have you got any tips for our listeners on great books to read? Well, I've, I've picked up um, Tim Ferriss's book, Tools of Titans, recently, Shallow, and, and that's a great book in that he interviews lots of different people that I guess in the pinnacle of their fields, um, and he asks them a series of different questions. And it's just a really good insight in, into, into all sorts of random things you know from great athletes to great scientists to you know authors or whatever it might be and and you pick up little gold nuggets all the time from from that so i'm really enjoying that one sounds good well thanks again simon for being our guest on the show today and thank you to dr kylie henderson our co-host really hope that the simon black academy keeps going from strength to strength and you make that positive impact on our next generation uh, as you're doing so well at the moment so uh, we're looking forward to having you as a guest on the podcast one other time thanks chilo thanks kylie it's been great to have a chat with you guys thanks Well, wow, Dr. Kylie, uh, everything I hoped for, we got in that episode. Uh, such a fascinating bloke, uh, as we predicted, very, yeah. very humble. Absolutely. And he's psychologically, I'd say, you know, emotionally, he's quite intelligent and he gave us a lot of tips today that I think we can all learn from. Great parenting from his mum. We've got to get I her know, on the behind podcast. Behind every good man, there is a good woman, I keep saying. And, and in this case, it's a good mum. I didn't want to embarrass him too much, but uh, I was talking about his physical fitness. He is quite a specimen still. He could definitely play in the AFL, I think, if he was a oh, little was bit younger. I was not looking, Dave. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> If I wouldn't like to be his running partner, that's for sure. He'd be doing a bit of a fast yeah, walk to my run, I think. Yeah, I didn't want to say anything, but when he said he's trying to put on weight, I, I thought that was always the opposite in the NRL, wasn't it? This episode was brought to you by another high performer, our sponsors, Interwork Australia. With a 1,000 staff across the country, the Interwork Australia group has local networks, national reach, and decades of experience that you can tap into to help achieve your goals. Visit interwork.com.au. Uh, such a thrill. So uh, looking forward to the next episode. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And Dr. Kylie, uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Dave.